0: You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This radio program was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. On this show, I talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policy makers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, artists, and more all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the Blue Ocean. I bring this show to you monthly on KWMR from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Cordell Bank is located just offshore of the KWMR listening radius off the Marin-Sonoma coast and is thriving with ocean life above and below the surface. Well, if you're a regular listener to Ocean Currents, you probably know that I am a big proponent of combining disciplines to engage all in the understanding and appreciation of the ocean. Science, education, technology, policy, community participation, management, and probably my favorite, the arts. Today's show is about the exhibit that just opened at the Bellinas Museum out here in West Marin, Ocean Wonders and Ocean Wellness brings together three well-known artists in the galleries and offers a variety of lectures, experiences, and challenges for us all. I caught up with Jennifer Gately, the executive director of the museum, last Thursday, and I'll start today's show with an interview with her with an overview of the show at the gallery, and then we'll have two of the three artists calling us today in the show in the studio, Chris Jordan and Isabella Kirkland. So stay tuned for a great show. I am here at the. Bellinas Museum with the Executive Director Jennifer Gately, and Jennifer thank you for agreeing to chat for a few minutes about this recent exhibition that just opened. Tell My us,
1: pleasure! <laughs> tell us about the exhibition, the name of it and what's it all about? Well, it's more than an exhibition actually. Um, not long ago I began to consider our programs here at the mu- museum in a more holistic way and this particular program is called Ocean Wonders and Wellness And it brings together three exhibitions and a series of talks, a workshop, a tour, and a pop-up shop around the theme of ocean wonders and wellness.
0: Briefly, there are three distinct... Areas.
1: Can you just tell us
0: each of the artists and the range of their work that's here in the galleries?
1: I'm happy to do that. We're we're talking to your ocean-loving fans and those who are becoming more ocean-loving. And I can tell you a little bit more about the inspiration behind all of this before we talk about the unique exhibitions, if you'd like. If you live here or you visit, there's a good chance you love the ocean. But really, how much do you know about the ocean? I had to ask myself that question when I realized I really know very little about the creatures that inhabit it or um, the health of the ocean. I know climate change is a big problem. And of course, one of the primary themes of this exhibition is marine debris and specifically plastic. But I I thought it might be fun to bring together artists to talk about that. Um, And my inspiration really was the artist Isabella Kirkland, who is just over the hill in Sausalito and is a highly painter, um, mostly well known for her work with species that have been compromised by man in some way, shape, or form. and When I approached her about doing a show at the museum, I had another body of work in mind, but she was very excited to share with me uh, the fact that she had been thinking about something new. And that was, rather than focusing on the dire stories of species that are being lost, she wanted to uh, focus her lens on um, an area that she hadn't worked with before, and that was species from the ocean. And specifically, those that might not be well known or known at all by people in order to incite a sense of curiosity and wonder in hopes that they might Then become champions of the ocean um, and the species that live there, and make changes to how they approach their daily lives, recognizing that those changes, those actions, then have uh, repercussions that are uh, unseen on creatures yet to be discovered. And so, one of the creatures that she brought up was this creature of the Nudibranch, and we started talking and. She was telling me all about them. I had no idea that they were sea slugs and butterflies of the sea and some of the most colorful creatures on the earth and that there are up to 2,000 species known. And considering that we've only explored 10% of the world's oceans, who knows how many are unknown. So I thought that was fascinating. And I knew she was a brilliant artist. And I said, let's do it. (laughs) And then with that, I thought, well, you know, it's one thing to talk about um, the wonders found beneath the sea, but we really should talk about the health of the world's oceans in conjunction with that. It's a big topic, and um, obviously we could do a year's worth of programs around it, but we decided to focus our attention on marine debris and plastic in particular. And so I brought together um, two additional artists to to speak to that. One, Chris Jordan, who I believe will be on the show today. He's a really remarkable man and he has been inspired to take photographs of the poor albatross chicks that have been fed plastic instead of um, krill or fish uh, from the sea uh, by their parents, and then have ingested so much that they have died as a result of that. Um, Apparently 98% of the albatross at Midway Island and the surrounding islands have ingested plastic, and uh, he'll probably share more figures with you. It's quite quite astounding. So those photographs are in the photography gallery, and they're heartbreaking, but I think important for people to see. On the flip side in that same building is the Coastal Marin Artists Gallery, and I invited Judith Selby-Lang, a very well-known and well-loved artist here in Marin, who has been combing Kehoe Beach in Point Reyes National Seashore with her husband uh, for a number of years and collecting beach debris there, bringing it back to her studio, categorizing it, sorting it, cleaning it. And the two of them together have been making art with that debris to speak about human consumer habits. Um, but she also independently has been making these incredible pieces of jewelry, wearable art, uh, with brightly colored bits of flotsam and Jetsam found on Kehoe Beach. And we brought them together in a very precious way to talk about scarcity and value as it relates to um, the environment and to uh, the objects that we assume are disposable in our daily lives. So it's a it's a humorous view um, a very, of a very serious subject.
0: Now, one of the nice things I love about this exhibit is that it's more than an it- exhibit that you've planned a series of events and lectures and talks and ways to get out into the community to discuss the topics presented in the gallery and without going every 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 single event because people can go to the website for that tell us about some of the
1: people coming together and and some of the events that are coordinated with the exhibit. Right well um, the first is an upcoming talk with Isabella Kirkland the painter in the main gallery who did these incredible Nudibrank paintings um, and she will be joined by Rebecca Johnson from the, the California Academy of Sciences who's a, a marine zoologist and The two of them will discuss their inspirations and and the various quirky, wonderful creatures that are found within the ocean that we may not know about. And um, that is going to be moderated by you, my dear.
0: It's kind of funny wearing two hats at the same time.
1: (laughs) That's scheduled for October 18th, and I think it will be a wonderful way to... um, engage in a topic that that may not be um if you're not science minded maybe you're art minded you might come because you want to hear an artist speak about her work but if you are not artistically minded and and you're more inclined to be interested in biology you might come and and be inspired by an artist so i love bridging the two disciplines and and i have been trying to do that in recent programs um we'll be doing that again in another great minds talk on november 8th with um, a very special guest Steve Wilson, who is the associate director of Five Gyres, a very important nonprofit whose mission is to rid the world's oceans of plastic. And he has been to all of the world's five gyres. And I'm sure Chris Jordan will talk to you more about the gyre situation, which is dire. (laughs) But um, Steve will also be uh, talking about his experience and and possibly present some solutions um, for that great tragedy. And he will be joined by... Judith Selby-Lang and Richard Lang, as well as Kate Bimrose from the Gulf of the Fairlands the the National Marine Sanctuary, uh, who has been doing some research on her own and plastic debris in our local beaches, which will be very important to hear. So that will be stimulating and phenomenal. So that's a great minds uh, talk about the ocean wellness subject. And then we'll have a workshop with Janice Yarrington and Tess Felix, who will be bringing in some marine debris that we can, plastic debris, make into works of art on our own. And we'll also have a tour of the Duxbury Reef with Bruce Bowser so those both are um, reservation only and so it's important to get get in quick if you'd like to be a participant in those they're limited numbers and very popular Um, we've got some great programs we also have um, a unique thing we haven't done this before we brought together um, with this group a retail expert to develop a pop-up shop called the four r's refuse reduce reuse recycle to educate us about how we might begin to stop using single-use plastics and so we have a number of um, items in the the galleries that are on display that uh, will help you to, to make some better choices at the checkout stand we hope and it's almost the holidays so what perfect timing true yes it's true it is it's perfectly timed <laughs> well
0: thank you for that nice overview i have one last question for you and what's your favorite thing about the ocean oh the waves <laughs> easy <laughs> easy says the surfer <laughs> Well, Jennifer, thanks again for chatting with us. It's a beautiful show, and I look forward to talking later today with Chris Jordan and Isabella Kirkland here on Ocean Currents. And I will add one thing, that there are three
1: photographs from Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, in and here, very important um, for those of you who, who don't know, the Cordell Bank is a, is a remarkable place, and it's rare that we get to see um, the beauty that that lives there. And so, we do have three photographs. Thank you very much for oh, the loan that help us to better understand um, the environment in which these creatures might live. It's a beautiful environment that we have
0: off the coast here of Bolinas and West Marin. So, this is a wonderful place to celebrate it. Thanks.
1: Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Anytime.
0: And for those just tuning in, you're listening to Ocean Currents. And today's show, we're talking about the exhibit down at the Bellinas Museum, Ocean Wonders, Ocean Wellness. And you just heard an overview of what the exhibition is all about and the different artists and the galleries. And I'm pleased to start talking with some of the artists themselves that are part of this. Um, On the line, I have Chris Jordan with us. Chris is an internationally acclaimed artist and cultural activist. His images explore contemporary mass culture from a variety of photographic and conceptual perspectives, connecting the viewer to the enormity and power of humanity's collective unconscious. His work walks the line between art and activism and uh, brings audiences to look inward while examining the landscape of our collective choices. His most recent work focuses on Midway, an island in the North Pacific, and the albatross and the environmental cultural tragedy around plastic in the ocean. And I'm truly honored to welcome Chris today to Ocean Currents. Chris, you're live on the air.
2: Hello, Jennifer. How's it going? Thanks for having me
0: on. Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. This is such an honor to speak with you because your work is truly uh, very, very passionate and a big part of my work as an ocean educator. So it's it's just truly an honor to have you. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you. So your works leading up to Midway focus on illustrating the enormous problems, environmental problems, social problems, health problems, conceptualizing individual data points and making it in a visually understandable way, a way that people can grasp the concept a lot more. How did you cross over from that s- type of work to the actual physical place of Midway Island and visiting and documenting the story of the albatross?
2: Hmm. Well, um, I've been a photographer for, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 years or something like that. And uh, the series that I did um, that I'm actually still doing called Running the Numbers, um, that was sort of my deviation from, from straight photography. And I sort of ran into a roadblock a while back because I was trying to face the enormous issues around our mass consumption. But there's nowhere you can go and take a photograph of all of the cell phones we throw out or all of the cars we discard or all of the computer monitors that we throw out because, uh, you know, those waste streams are spread out into thousands or millions of different places. And so we have these giant statistics that we're always bombarded with every day. You know, the things like we use 200 billion plastic bottles in the United States every year, but there's nowhere to take a photograph of that. Um, and, uh, and so for quite a few years, I've been making these large-scale digital constructions, these sort of collages, or whatever you call them, that show, uh, that at least attempt to illustrate the enormi- enormity of our mass consumption. But there was something about that work that never really got me there. Because to me, the missing piece of the puzzle in our culture is, is feeling something. I think for a whole bunch of different reasons, we have become disconnected from what we feel. And there's just something about a photograph of, some, of, of, of a real thing in the real world that helps us to, to connect with that thing and to feel something. And so when I heard that there was this astonishingly symbolic tragedy happening on this incredibly remote island in the middle of the Pacific, um, it, uh, it just really rang the temple bell in my mind, and I had to go there.
0: How did you get there? It's a hard place to get to.
2: Yeah, well, it's hard. To, uh, it, it's, physically, it's not too difficult because there's a runway. Um, so, you know, it's not one of those islands you have to sail to and camp out and use solar panels to charge your batteries and things like that. Um, it's it's an, an island with quite a bit of infrastructure, and there's a flight that goes once a week um, back and forth. It's just a, a small government plane, so I was able to hitchhike on that. But the real, uh, the real challenge of getting to Midway is to get a permit, because um, it's a marine sanctuary, and they're very strict about letting people there. Um, and uh, if, if whatever it is you want to do on the island, if it's possible to do that on any other place in the world, then they won't let you uh, onto Midway. And so I had to convince them that there's nowhere else I can go um, to, uh, to do this particular body of work, which is true, because... Most of the world's Laysan albatross population uh, live right there on that one island.
0: So for listeners, Chris's work, uh, Midway, um, is a collection, the focus, the collection at the Bolinas Museum is a collection of photographs from his visits to Midway, and it it captures the the albatrosses that have died and have decomposed, and what's left behind is a, a very visual collection of plastic. And... Chris, I'm curious. I'm sure you did a body of research before you got to the island and you were there, but tell us what your first your first impressions were when you got off the airplane and there you finally are surrounded by this blue vision of water and, and the birds. What was it like?
2: Well, it's just such an astonishing place. Um, I've been there eight times now, and every time it's the same thing. It's like it, it, midway is this kind of microcosm of our world. It's this very very intense place where the uh, you know the, the the number of birds on the ground is just astonishing and overwhelming. There are more than three million birds that live on this island that' and, and the whole the size of the island is basically the length of the runway. that's how that's pretty much the whole island and uh, and three million birds, I mean, it's just a cacophony of noise and hundreds of thousands of birds just sitting around right on the ground, and they have no fear of humans because they've never had a predator. And so you can walk right into these huge flocks of birds and sit down and, and, uh, you know, be within arm's length of of these magnificent creatures. And so in that way, it's like being in paradise. Um, And at the same time, all around are the dead birds whose bodies are filled with plastic, and also the just sort of strangely haunting remains of the military infrastructure from when it was a military base. Um, So there are these huge rusting fuel tanks and this giant old rusting water tank and old bunkers and things like that that just are sort of always like the echoes of war.
0: When you arrived, did the story that you were hoping to capture... Evolve for you at all?
2: Um, yes, it sure did. Uh, I was only planning originally on going there once, and the intention behind the project was simply to make a series of still photographs um, of uh, of the dead birds filled with plastic. And I brought a film crew with me uh, the first time I went there just to make us a a documentary of the process of photographing them, just to prove to people that we didn't fake the pictures. Wow. Um, Because I knew there was going to be, you know, a lot of questions and and people thinking that I put the plastic inside those birds. Um, And so, uh, you know, we had a film crew that was going to document and then make a little film about that. And, what happened when I got home from that first trip with this body of work of about 100 photographs of, of the birds filled with plastic, I posted it on the Internet, and uh, it, I was really surprised that it, it went viral. It, it reached a huge audience around the world, those photographs. And a lot of the response that I got back was not people who felt uh, more hopeful or inspired to do something it was a kind of trauma response. You know, people say that these pictures make me feel more hopeless than ever. Um, and uh, and so I began to realize that, that my work had had the exact opposite effect than I wished. And so um, it was then that uh, I, I consulted with a few people who I think of as sort of being my elders. Um, one of them is the writer Terry Tempest Williams. And... Um, and, uh, and then my friend Joanna Macy, uh, the Buddhist teacher, and they both gave me, I, I thought, a really profound piece of advice, which was to go back to the island. They said, uh, the story's not complete yet. You, you, you haven't told the entire story. And neither of them knew what the rest of the story was, but they both just had this strong sense that I needed to go back, that there was more than just the dead birds filled with plastic. And so when we went back that's when we met uh, the live albatrosses for the first time. And uh, we're just mesmerized by their grace and their beauty and the fact that you can get up so close to them. Um, and, uh, and, it, it, and the project began to kind of morph from this horrible look at this tragedy into a story that contains the tragedy, but also is kind of wrapped in an envelope of exquisite grace and beauty.
0: That's amazing. And I, I really appreciate that you went back to tell the whole story because I, I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, the feeling of arriving on an island and seeing all these dead birds and maybe not as many of the live ones. It's extraordinarily the opposite. I've never been there, but the photos and videos that I have are make me want to go there with all the birds everywhere. So you've been working on this film, and it's going to captivate more of the whole picture, the whole natural history of the bird, I'm assuming, from the birth of an egg, of a chick, to an adult, and fledging, and, and showing that enormous growth, and, and as well as weaving in the story of the human influence.
2: Yeah, well, that's kind of exactly it. It's um, you know a, a story of the life cycle of the birds and the astonishing, epic adventure that their lives are. Um, And really, you know, the deeper message is not going to be this horrible message that humans are bad for polluting the world. Um, It's more about remembering what we in the first world have forgotten, which is just how wondrous and amazing and beautiful the world is. And, you know, any creature that we look at up really close, you know, if we could go spend months with dolphins and see what they actually do and what their communication is and how they have their babies and like or or any creature um then we would discover that 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 all creatures have this incredibly epic story um and uh and so i just took a really close look at the albatross and they let us up really really close <laughs> because they've never had a predator in all the millions of years they've been living there on that island and so you can literally get up so close to them that the camera lens is touching their face, and so we had to bring these special lenses that would focus like one inch in front of the lens, um, and uh, and so they really let us into their lives. And you know, we have this this beautiful footage of the babies hatching from their eggs, um, and the you know the lovers snuggling in their nests, and uh, and so in that way, it, it kind of hopefully will come across to the viewer as a, as a sad and beautiful love story.
0: That's an amazing burden as an artist to take. I'm just thinking back to your original um, impressions from the prints or the the first photos you took and posted and getting the opposite effect that you intended and taking that on and managing that and realizing what an important role you have as a communicator to help people understand our human role in the ecosystem. How... What's the timeline for the film? I've seen the trailer and it's wonderful and it's definitely piqued my curiosity. I've used it to educators showing them as we teach about the albatross a lot here in California. And tell us a little bit about the timeline for it coming out and where it will be shown.
2: Well, um, I'm still working away on it. Um, The most challenging part is the writing of the narration. Um, and uh, it's just so important to say the right thing. And uh, it's been a real struggle to find my own voice. Um, I know that sounds kind of strange, but uh, I know it's, a, it's, it's something that happens to a lot of artists in various mediums, um, is to, to really find the courage to, to truly speak my truth. Um, and, uh, and so it's taken me a long time to write the narration, and I'm still in that process. But I'm hoping that the film... Will be ready for release uh, sometime early next year, um, and uh, so and our our initial thought is for now is to uh, is to show it at some film festivals, see how it does, and uh, and then just go from there.
0: It's fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time on that. It's one of the hardest challenges we have as communicators about environmental challenges such as plastic or even ocean acidification or climate change is not getting. The message wrong. So I think it's wonderful that you're taking that extra time to really get the right voice because it's going to have a huge impact on people's perception about our impact as humans on other others' lives in the ocean. So I'm really looking forward to it early next year and we'll definitely keep our ears posted for it around here. What are some other concepts you're thinking about as an artist in terms of weaving in these values you have in terms of awakening humans to our, our daily choices and to the larger impacts.
2: I know uh, that I'm going to continue making my Running the Numbers pieces for quite a while. Um, that's the name of the series where I make these, these big digital collages, because there are so many issues that are invisible to us, and yet they're profoundly important for us to comprehend and understand and feel something about. You know, like the number—the number of pounds of pesticides that are put onto agricultural crops in the United States every day. Um, you know, the, the the number of of birds that are dying from pesticides. Um, factory farming. Uh, you know, I could do a, a whole series on factory farming, and um, v- you know, forms of violence. Um, there, I mean, I have a list of probably fifty issues that I wish I could have a whole little crew of people helping me make uh, pieces to illustrate those things. Um, And uh, making the film has been really difficult, much, much more difficult than I ever imagined. Um, But now that I'm getting near the end of Midway, um, I'm starting to think about uh, potentially another film. Um, So that's exciting and scary to think about.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wonderful. How about uh, websites? Where can people track your work and see some of your other work? Besides, of course, coming to Bellina's Gallery here in West Marin to see a small section of your work related to Midway, A Message from the Gyre. But what are uh, websites that you would like people to visit to see more of your work?
2: Well, there's uh, my my website is just my name, chrisjordan.com. Um, and then uh, the Midway Film trailer is up on midwayfilm.com. Well,
0: Chris, thank you. I have one last question, and that is, what is your favorite thing about the ocean?
2: Oh, wow. Um, you know what it is, I think? it's. I've only seen it just a few times that I've been out in, uh, in Hawaii and, and then on Midway, and that is the, when you get to look into the deep ocean, Pacific water on a clear day. It's just this unbelievably gorgeous deep radiating sapphire blue color. And whenever I saw it, I just couldn't take my eyes off. It's like it's like looking right at a spiritual battery charger. <laughs> I wish uh, I wish there was a way to duplicate that. There's no way. I've tried When you photograph it, it doesn't look like that. There's something about being able to see down into the water as the water's moving. It just creates this incredibly gorgeous sapphire cobalt blue effect that I'm in love with.
0: (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Sounds like a, a nice memory that needs to live on in your mind. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This is really wonderful to talk with you, and I really appreciate how you're working as an artist and an activist to really touch on some huge issues in a very mindful way and we'll be definitely tracking your progress as the film comes around in the new year and thanks for joining us today on ocean currents
2: oh thanks for having me on jennifer it was a delight
0: all right take care have a great afternoon
2: you too cheers
0: you're listening to kwmr 90.5 point Race station 89.9 balinas and 92.3 the san geronimo valley And live on the web at www.kwmr.org. We're going to take a quick, short musical break before we come back with another interview. You're listening to Ocean Currents, and we're talking with artists that are involved with the installation at the Bellinas Museum, Ocean Wonders and Ocean Wellness. Up next will be Isabella Kirkland, a painter. Welcome back to Ocean Currents. We're talking with artists today from the recent installation at the Balinas Museum, Ocean Wonders and Ocean Wellness. Isabella Kirkland has dedicated her artistic career to calling our attention to the delicate wonders of the natural world. Bridging art and science, Miss Kirkland meticulously researches her subjects before carefully rendering them to scale in oil paint. More often than not, these themes relate to humankind's influence on their well-being. She has had exhibitions all over the country, all over the country, public exhibitions as well as private collections. She is a painter, both watercolor and oil, and is a research associate with the Department of Aquatic Biology at the California Academy of Sciences, and a science advisor with the Long Now Foundation. Her most recent collection joins the Bellinas Museum's latest exhibition, Ocean Wonders and Wellness, and focuses on nudibranchs. So welcome, Isabella Kirkland. You are live on the air. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me on. You're one of those interviews that it's important for people to log on to the Internet, I think, to see your work, because that's the tough thing about interviews with artists is you want to see the work that we're talking about. But thank you for joining me today. So your work is truly the result of incredible skill for art, but also having an incredible conceptual theme that requires extensive biological and ecological knowledge and history to interpret. And I'm curious for you, which came first for you in your career? Was it the art or the biology?
3: Well, um, truly, art came first. I never wanted to be anything else. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, And the... I began as a sculptor, really, not as a painter. So I began from a conceptual basis. So even though I made a lot of handmade objects, I tried very much to have them have um, you know, an intellectual reason for being. And so it was kind of an easy shift for me to go to this very applied art that had a, you know, a, um, a strong content and my love of the natural world has just been, been part of the way I was brought up and the way I was fortunate enough to grow up.
0: So your earlier works were themed on a concept of species already gone, nearly gone, saved, collected for possession or trade. You had these themes with these paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come around to feature one taxonomic group, the nudibranchs?
3: The Nittabranchs are my sort of opening salvo into trying to bring shine some light on these things that are underwater so we don't get to see them. You know, we, we haven't been able to visit the underwater world for very long. And because of that, there's a lot down there that we don't even know exists. And with uh, the change that we see on the surface, we're also affecting to huge extents what's underneath the surface of the water. So as we change it, uh, we're bound to have impact on these species. And so, once again, I'm trying to document in the most sort of archival and analog way um, things that may not survive our fiddling about on the planet, our intrusion, and, and our, uh, the mess we make. <laughs> there are just too many of us. <laughs>
0: So there's thousands of creatures underwater to, to look at, to feature. What drew you personally to the nudibranch, the mollusk?
3: Well, a number of things. I happen to live on a houseboat in Sausalito. My studio is a houseboat. So I even though, and everybody always says, so, you know, your boat rocks. How can you keep still to paint? But, you know, my chair and everything's moving at the same rate. But um, I actually found nudibran- a couple of nudibranchs on the hull of my houseboat um, a good 10 years ago and started trying to find them in the bay whenever I had the time, and have found nine species now um, right in Richardson Bay. And I also happen to live with a surfer, so we've been to a lot of warm places close to the equator where, where nudibranch hunting is a great deal of fun.
0: So they just captured your imagination, I imagine, as a subject to paint.
3: Indeed, they're so bright and they're so varied. You know, there's just a million variations on the, on the theme of slug. If you take the body, you know, the slug silhouette as a, you know, as a um, baseboard, it's just like there are millions of little variations on that basic shape. So they sort of captured my imagination and wanted, I just wanted to share them. And plus, they were really, really fun to paint.
2: I
0: <laughs> bet. I bet. For those that aren't familiar with nudibranchs, can you describe them a little bit more in terms of what type of animal they are and their unique qualities? Sure.
3: Uh, you know we're all familiar with our great banana slugs. Well, these are uh, in the same group. They're mollusks, and they just happen to live in saltwater. They're in every single bit of saltwater, anywhere from the mud flats down all the way. They found a species from a thermal vent, and you know so very deep, and in from the Arctic clear to the equator. So they're very well adapted to their particular little niche. Um, and they, they have the same body plan as a slug, uh, um, you know, as a garden slug. But they have, um, they all, a lot of them have tentacles like a garden slug does, which they can retract. Um, but a lot of these, they have to have some sort of structure to breathe with underwater. So their gill structures are, very, are varied and interesting. That's um, part of what their huge variety is about, is those breathing structures. Um, and they're, they come in every color of the rainbow. And they, they vary from about two millimeters to about 500 millimeters is the largest anyone's found yet.
0: Wonderful. How does you? It sounds like you do an extensive amount of research before actually painting anything. Tell us a little bit about the breadth of research you do about each species before you start painting it.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, Well, there's a number of things that were different about nudibranchs. Usually I go to uh, a natural history museum, and if I'm interested in looking at an extinct bird, I'll, you know, request permission to go into that cabinet and actually look at the preserved remains. Well, when you pickle a nudibranch, which is what you do to preserve it, it loses all of its color, and all of, um, and it shrinks a good bit. So you you can't see it really nearly as well as you can from photographs of live things. So... Unusually for me, um, this has be- become a very much um, a project of having to look through underwater photographers' photographs. So, in order to become really familiar with each of these species and um, and learn what makes it unique and what properties it does have, I've found on the internet um, and in about fifteen different guidebooks. Um, about 100 to 150 photographs of each individual species so that I could look across a whole range of their sizes, their ages, and different points of view of them so that I can become familiar enough with it to paint it as accurately, scientifically accurate, accurately as I possibly can. Um, Does that answer your question?
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually another part of it too is in terms of learning about all these species, you're learning a little bit more about their range, their diet, and their different adaptations. How much does that information influence your painting of the physical aspect?
3: Well, one of the things, uh, I usually provide a lot of ancillary material with with any painting I do so that a viewer can be as sort of involved in the science as they want. And normally I would try to... um, give you a story with the species, because some of them, for example, uh, one particular species has a relationship with um, juvenile lionfish. For some reason, these lionfish are attracted to this particular nudibranch, and the juveniles will hang out in the fringe of the nudibranch and get protection from the nudibranch, probably chemical protection. Um, That species is... um, Oh, I can't remember the species, have Boholiansis, but I can't remember. Uh, Discodorus Boholiansis. Um, so that, I, I, you know, I just try to give as much depth to any one of the paintings as I can by providing that kind of information to people. So it, it adds interest to just looking at the peculiar characteristics of this animal visually.
0: You've also covered a couple different adaptations besides just the actual physical beautiful paintings which are just amazing <laughs> i had a chance to see them on thursday but you also show the different types of egg cases and different types of um, predation or their uh, the gills and how did you get the research on those that were there pictures available of those egg cases and it's just incredible extraordinary detail that you bring to light in a painting that is just phenomenal
3: well, I I appreciate that. You know, I've been saying that nudibranchs look like they're they were invented by Doctor Seuss and then made by Dale Chihuly. <laughs> um, you know, i i just I just get carried away with it, honestly. Um, and I'm so awed by the wonder of these animals. I just want to share that awe, um, figuring that that leads to a desire to protect. Um, so. You know, there, there's an amazing, the Internet's an amazing place, you know. Um, Nutabranch enthusiasts want to share their information with each other, and there are some fabulous websites uh, that are maintained with a high degree of scientific rigor, really, um, even though there are a lot of amateur photographers who are very involved in it and want to know what they're shooting and learn about them. But so there, there are a great many resources online, including the uh, World Register of Marine Species Worms, which is sort of the uh, final go-to um, organization that determines nomenclature. So all of my species are checked against that, so that I have the correct name applied to the correct species. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh,
0: yeah, well, and you're also you work uh, with the California Academy of Sciences. I know they have extensive uh, staff that focus on invertebrates and... Nudibranchs specifically. Did you work closely with them as well in your research?
3: I did. I had um, Dr. Terry Gosliner helped me uh, make sure that my drawings were accurate, and I ran my species list by him, and he gave some suggestions, and um, I included quite a few that he uh, named, added the, you know, made the original descriptions of, and therefore had the naming rights to it. And it was a a great help, as always. And um, Rebecca. Johnson. Johnson helped a good bit, too, yeah.
0: Now, is this the, uh, the first in a series about the ocean, Aqua? Um, am I saying that right? It says it's the first, the, my new series, Aqua. And I'm curious if you're looking at some other taxonomic groups of the ocean that you might be painting in the future.
3: I am. Um, I, I never took Latin, but I believe it's aquae. It's, it's supposed to be the plural for waters. I mean, the plural for water, waters, meaning the many oceans and water world um, on our planet. I do have a, quite a number of other things I'm considering. Um, there are, you know, when we think of the word shrimp, we think of something curled in pink on a plate. And um, there are some truly astounding shrimp in the world. Um, the one of the problems I run into is scale. So if I paint it life size, a lot of these shrimp are very small. So I have some issues I need to resolve before I address that. But um, I actually found a shrimp that, that the eyeballs look plaid. I mean, it's just they're just dumbfounding. Um, again, in color and array and, and diversity. So I'm considering those. There's a group of animals called squat lobsters that most people have never heard of.
0: Oh, well, we have those it's at at Cordell that. Bank.
3: Right? Oh, there are, yes, there are, uh, they, because they, too, are everywhere. They're in all the oceans everywhere, and they're a huge. Um, they're they're horribly affected by with bycatch because they're plentiful and they're everywhere, and nobody eats them, so they just get caught in nets and are thrown out by the tongue. So it'd be fun to document those, and there's just a wealth of wonderful things to talk about. You know, diadem urchins and blanket octopus and... Um, not to mention the other forms of life that we don't think of as animals that are proto animals,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and very interesting. we should get you on gelatinous zooplankton,
3: <laughs> indeed, I mean the tunicates you know the um the, the uh sea cucumbers um uh, I discovered a found a cucumber in when I was in Tahiti that looked to me like a four foot long piece of brown ribbon that was crinkled and when I touched it, of course, it shrank to about six inches, and it took me a long time to figure out what exact cucumber that was.
0: It's exciting. That's the beautiful thing about the ocean. It's there's, there's so many things to discover, and I really love that artists can help bring it to light because most people wouldn't see these things. So, thank you for helping join us with this uh, building of ocean awareness and the importance of it.
3: Well, I I think this is our age of needing to think about the ocean. You know, we've been talking about Silent Spring for how many years, 50 almost, and um, we have to come up with another acronym for the oceans that has that, because, you know, we are profoundly affecting it, even though it's fast. Yes. So, Well,
0: one last question for you. What is your favorite there, thing about the ocean?
3: Oh, gosh. I think my favorite thing about the ocean is that that salinity is the same as our tears and the same as our blood, and it's where we come from. Um, So it's, uh, you know, it's a world we don't understand very well, we don't know very well, and kind of the last great frontier on Earth. So um, it's, you know, it's just a a wide open book of wonder that we need to explore.
0: Thank you. And how about a website for you that people can follow and see the rest of your
3: work? Uh, Thank you, Jennifer. It's just www.isabellakirkland.com. Very simple. Great. Wonderful. I on the first page of Google, finally.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, and I'll be announcing some of the events that um, you're a part of, and um, we'll be sharing that with the exhibit, and I look forward to meeting you in a couple of weeks.
3: Great. Same here. I look forward to talking to you then. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Isabella. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye-bye.
0: We were just talking with Isabella Kirkland, a painter who has a beautiful group of work at the Bellinas Museum on nudibranchs and just amazing paintings of these underappreciated species that are just really incredibly colorful and diverse and have amazing adaptations. And I hope you'll all have a chance to come down to the Bellinas Museum between now and early January to see this exhibit, Ocean Wonders and Ocean Wellness. I'm not going to have a ton of time to go over all the events that the museum is hosting, but they are doing a series of events in addition to the exhibition being open on the weekends. But there are lectures and outings where people can learn a little bit more and get in tune with some of the concepts behind the the works that are featured. The best way to learn about all of these is going to bellinismuseum.org. Everything's right there on the homepage. You can learn all about the events, see some pieces from the exhibit so you can get down there and check it out. That pretty much wraps up our show today. This is Ocean Currents, and Ocean Currents is the first Monday of every month on KWMR, 1 to 2 p.m., part of the West Marin Matters series. And I also save each show as a podcast. And you can get those either at the Cordell Bank website, cordellbank.noaa.gov, or look in iTunes for Ocean Currents. And all the shows are archived there for you to... Hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Ocean Currents here on KWMR. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marin Community Radio, KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov.